Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, amen. I pray that you're ready to hear God's word this morning. And the church said, amen. And then I'm sure some of you might have a meal waiting for you, but I promise you this meal is more important for you to get into your spirit, into your life, than the meal that's coming, although both are necessary, amen? But this one should come first today. Uh, If you have your Bible, open to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read one verse, and if you can, stand to your feet with me as we honor God's Word. We reverence Him this morning, Romans chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're watching or looking on the screen, say amen. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 in the NIV says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I'm just going to reiterate one more time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us one of the greatest messages that we can ever share with with people that we come into contact with. It is the gospel. I thank you that many people here today have already received and heard the gospel. But God, there are also many who still have yet to hear for the very first time. Quicken our hearts, I pray. Lord, silence every distraction that we might receive what your Spirit wants us to receive today. And Lord, anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart that I might speak your word only. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That word gospel, very simply restated, is good news. And it's not just some good news or any good news. It's actually a very specific good news. And today I'm going to spend the time that we have sharing with you how we break down the gospel, how we uh, speak or get to speak about good news. Why? Why is it important? So that God can use each and every one of us, that we understand it, number one, but number two, that we can now share it with other people. And I think at its core, um, a lot of people just tend to overcomplicate the gospel message. Uh, Maybe that's why you have a hard time or you hesitate kind of sharing about your faith because you're like, where do I start? How do I go about this? By, at the close of this message, I'm going to give you just a few tips that will help you, I hope, and I believe they'll help you uh, overcome the fear because it, I want you to understand it's actually very simple. We tend to sometimes overcomplicate the gospel or how we can share it, but it's actually simple to communicate, and we have to make sure that we're able to communicate it clearly. So if I can't do a good job in this sermon, then we're going to be uh, all in trouble. So with God's help, we're going to get through this. Can you say amen? So at its core, the gospel or good news that we have as a church to share is centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, 
For those of you in my young adults Bible study on Friday nights, you should already know that. And in the book of Acts, this is what we're studying on Friday night. Uh, we're attempting, we're endeavoring to walk through uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And we're only on chapter 1, and it's been about three or four weeks. So, um, you know, there are 28 chapters. It might take a while, but who knows. Um, but in Acts, we find that there are a series of sermons that we can read through. And the important thing to note is what's common in all of those messages or sermons. If you remember, Peter stands up after the baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, preaches the first sermon. Even that sermon includes these three key important things. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That in its core, I can say amen and we can leave, but I just want to unpack those three things in our time together this morning. Um, and it's this preaching, this simple gospel that we see in the book of Acts, thousands of new believers added to the church. And it's, it's incredible. When we overcomplicate it, oftentimes, even in my preaching, the results don't seem to be the same. But when we stick to the core message of the gospel and make it simple for, for people to understand, we often see results. And obviously there's a work of the Holy Spirit when we share and when we speak with people, when we preach the message of Jesus. But the important thing that we have to understand is we ought to not overcomplicate what, what, what is very simply laid out in Scripture. The death burial and resurrection of Jesus. So this morning I want to share with you three things every Christian should be thankful for. And you already know the three things. We ought to be thankful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So number one, death. The death of Jesus was necessary. The Bible says for you and for me it's appointed that every man die once. So whether we like to think of it or not, each of us has an appointment with death. And uh, it's kind of, Pastor John, this is not an uplifting message. No, I, I know, but it's, it's the truth. Um, that or we pray, Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, and we will be raptured up. That's the only other way to miss that one appointment. Uh, last night, like we had a wedding at the church. I did the ceremony. And then I actually couldn't even go to the reception because my grandfather in Brantford uh, found out he had a fall, and the doctors had to do like a three-hour surgery for his uh, fractured femur bone, which is this big bone uh, in the thigh. And uh, at 89 years old, he's already got a weak heart, and they said, we don't know if he's going to make it through the surgery. So like they said, if you can, it would be good that you come. So I went, and uh, thankfully he made it through that, and we're going to pray for him at the end of the service with the other requests. Uh, but I just said, Priscilla, like, I, I need to go, but like, I don't need you with me. My sister's there. My dad was there, uh, but I want to be there too with my grandfather and um, we're all he's got left. So I thought, you know, this is important. Um, and I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but we're talking about death. That's why he, you know, like death comes knocking and, and we don't know when. You know my story with my mom. She was 50. I was 23 when I lost her. And that experience, you know, as a 23-year-old, uh, it could have gone either way for me personally, right? But we have to understand the death of Jesus was necessary. He came to relate with us, even in the death. But there's a lot more to his death 
than a, a regular human being dying or even a prophet dying. You see, the death of Jesus was necessary. Why? Because the problem is that sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. I just want to stop there for a second. The wages of sin is death. So because of sin, we have death now. And you could trace it and blame Adam in the very beginning. Right? It links all that. So through one man, sin entered the world. But through one man, now Jesus, we find something and we receive something totally different. So for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal, not death, eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus died because the wages of sin is death. But did Jesus ever sin? Absolutely not. And we're going to look at that in a second. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So our penalty, because of sin, is death. Christ, who never sinned, took our penalty. He bore the sins of the world on His shoulders and died for you and for me. He took the curse of sin for you and for me, that we might not have to live as a slave to sin the rest of our lives. Can somebody say amen? So the death of Jesus was necessary. Why? Because He took our place. He took our place. Jesus never sinned, yet He became our sin offering. And Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When He was hung on the cross, He took upon Himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And Jesus died by crucifixion, and, or you can call it, he was hung on a tree. And it was one of the worst deaths he could, ever, he could ever die. No one wanted to be crucified. It was painful. He suffocated while he was bleeding and while he was tortured and in pain. I know it's not Easter weekend, but it doesn't matter. We have to be thankful that Jesus took our place and bore our sins because, I mean, imagine if he didn't. I don't know how any of us could, could find a way back to God. But God knew that this was the remedy for sin and he had to put an end to sin's reign in our lives. And so Jesus paid the price for you and for me. And Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So number one is the death, right? We're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. Those are the three things every Christian should be thankful for. But number one, I'm thankful for the death. Jesus took my place. He took my sin, everything I would do in my life. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't wait for us to get good, to get right with Him. He said, no, 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 that'll never happen. There needs to be a better way. I'm going to send my one and only Son. For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son, that whosoever should believe should not perish, the wages of sin is death, but have eternal life. 
And this is the beautiful beginning of this message of the gospel, the death of Jesus. Number two is the burial. The burial. Romans 6, verses 2 and 4 says this, Since we have died to sin, right? Because the death of Jesus, he bore our sin. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So there's reference to baptism. This is our baptismal tank right back here. And this is what I tell everyone who comes into my class as we teach it. We say, this is the picture. It's a symbol. When we're entering the waters of baptism, it's us symbolizing in the death, into the burial, and then as they're raised out of the water, it's the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. It's not that the water here, when you go in and come out, washes away your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away the sin and, and your past mistakes and failures and faults and all of those things. But it's a symbol. I have this wedding ring on my finger, right? You look at me, you know I'm married. How? Well, by the ring on my finger. What does this represent? It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment I've made to my wife, Priscilla. And when we enter the waters of baptism, it is the exact same thing. It's an outward symbol. That's why we say invite family, invite friends, because it's an outward symbol of an inward personal commitment that I've made to Jesus. I've given him my life, and now I identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. The beautiful part of the picture is not only the resurrection, but the burial. Why? Because everything I've ever done is in the past. And it's buried, and it's under the ground. It doesn't haunt me. I mean, if you repeat history, yeah, you, you haven't learned from the past. Uh, but here's the picture. It's that what Christ did by his death and burial and resurrection... I don't have to go back and continue to repeat the same pattern of sin in my life because I am no longer the same person. The old Jonathan is buried in the ground, and as I come up, I'm new creation. All things are new. The way I think has to change and become new. I'm a new creation. Some of you are not as excited as me, but I pray that by the end of this, you will understand everything that Jesus did for you. Understand it, because if you're going to share this with people, it has to have a real connection to your life and to your story. And so the burial, the burial, we enter the waters and the, we symbolize with the death and burial. We come up to the new life we have in Christ. And it's that symbolism. It reminds us. And what is old is done away with. It's finished and it's complete. And now we get to number three. Pastor John, you're moving quickly. I know, because I want to get to praying. Maybe even some time of testimony. We'll see as the Lord leads. But number three is the resurrection. The resurrection. And this is the most important part of the story. Amen? And here's the question I asked our young adults, and I'm also going to pose it this morning. What would have happened if Jesus came to earth 
and would have died, but never resurrected. Imagine if the story was different. Imagine if he came, he died, and nothing happened after that. It would be no different than all of the other prophets that have come before him, and there would be nothing for us as believers that would separate us from any other religion in the rest of the world. Because there are all other men who also died. But the one difference that we have as, church, as the church is that Christ died, but he rose again. And he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And I'm rem reminded of 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where is your sting? O grave, your victory. What that tells us is that he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. There is no other person that was able to do that but Christ. And he did that for you and for me. Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, now lives inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. Think about it. Let it marinate a bit. Think about it. So we talk about how marvelous this thing is and we get excited but there's the resurrection power is living inside of each and every one of us. So we're not dead. We don't, we don't walk around like zombies. We should walk around like we have life-giving power inside of us. Because if you call yourself a believer and the Spirit of God is living on the inside of you, the indwelling of the Spirit, then you are made alive in Christ. Can you say amen? And that's why I think the church should be the most happening place in all of Toronto. It has to be. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God floating around inside of people in a club. At least believers shouldn't be there, in my opinion. But in the church, we could, we're alive. And wherever we go, we have life-giving power going with us at work. You know, some of us on Monday, we look like the walking dead, maybe. <laughs> right? And I get it. Have some coffee, but get the Word of God in you. Get the right perspective on the day that's ahead and say, no, greater is he who is in me than he who is in, in my office. <laughs> Amen? And we can go about our day with a fresh perspective. Why? Because we have something that the world desperately needs, and it is the gospel, the good news. Listen, if we look like the world, if we talk like the world, if we smell like the world, what kind of a gospel is that? What did Jesus save us out of? And I don't know everyone's testimony, but what I do know is, as believers, we are to be sanctified. What does that big word, fancy word mean? That we are called to be set apart. You know what set apart means? Or what does it look like? That I'm different. Like when I walk into a room, I should feel like I'm different. Not that I'm special or that I'm above people, but, but I carry light and power. And it's not my own. It's His. And my one prayer is that when I walk in a room, that not because I'm an extrovert, or maybe some of us say, well, I'm an introvert. No, no, no. The light inside of us is equal. It's the same. And it's up to us to let it shine in the way God intended it to shine. And so all we are are earthen vessels. This is the container that God chose to deposit His light inside of. And so our one job, I heard this week the song, you know, This Little Light of Mine. 
is actually not really scriptural or biblical because it's not a little light. It's the light of the world. Amen? And, and we ought to not hide it in a bushel or under a bushel or a basket. We ought to let it shine. Here's, here's a thought to consider. I think in, in modern day church, maybe the church building, the edifice, this facility, has sometimes acts like a bushel or a basket because when we gather here, we, we, we're not afraid to let the light shine, but where is it actually spreading and reaching? It's actually when we exit the doors of this building that as the church, we have to let it shine, right? It's meant to light up the darkness, not to light up light, to light up the darkness. And as we go out, understand resurrection power lives inside of me, that there is a light that shines in the darkness. His name is Jesus, and he's called now his church, who is also the light to go and to spread the good news to everyone who is willing to listen. The resurrection is a key factor. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And when we... When we resurrect, he, when he resurrected, he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. So get this, he died so that you and I can live. He paid the price so that we might be free. He ransomed us so that the redeemed of the Lord say so. He paid the price that we might be redeemed. He ransomed us in in modern day world we kind of understand that lingo people get kidnapped for a ransom they're holding them hostage because they want an exchange they want money or they might have some other demands you understand what i'm saying if you ever watch a movie you can see this scenario with fbi and swat team and all this other stuff right they're hold they want they want the ransom money and they won't let this person go and what christ sin was holding us hostage you have to understand, sin was holding you hostage before you gave your heart to Jesus. And the beauty in this story is that Jesus paid the price to purchase your freedom. And how did he pay it? With his life and with his blood. This is the story of the gospel. Sometimes we make it too complicated. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and I symbolize with that because once I give my life to him, the old life is gone. Everything I did, everything that I thought I was is, is buried, and I'm raised to a new life in Christ. And, and listen, God pours on us and extends to us his grace and his mercy. You know, uh, the Bible says that, you know, with sin, there's grace that's given, um, so then in Romans, Paul's kind of having this dialogue and he's ask, asking the question and then answering it. So if because of sin there's more grace, uh, should we keep on sinning then so that we get more and more grace as well? Uh, and there is a gospel that is being preached, not in this church, um, but it's a twisted gospel where uh, it's okay, grace. It's okay. God's grace covers it. You could just do that. Do whatever you want. God's grace. God's grace. Uh, no, you know what God's grace does in the life of a believer? It's God's divine enablement 
for you to no longer live as a slave to sin or your past. That's what God's grace does for you. It's divine enablement so that you don't live like you used to. That's what God's grace does and His mercy. And so we're so grateful this morning for, for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Listen, you might in your mind still think of yourself as the old you. But when you understand God's word and his plan of salvation, you have to get heaven's perspective, God's perspective on your life. God doesn't look at you like, ah, I know you just got baptized, you gave your heart to me, but I'm just waiting for you to slip up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, ah, you're not quite there yet. That's not what God does. God views you through the righteousness of Jesus as being made righteous. It's not what you do for him. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And that's the important part for you to grasp. It's very, very important. But what does the devil do when we give our heart to Christ? He's the accuser, the Bible says. So he's the one who's saying, ah, you're going to slip up. Just wait and see. Wait and see. Uh, oh, see what you just did there? Oh, reminiscent of your past. Watch out. And then we kind of play this like, I don't know, one foot here, one foot there. It's like, did I really, I know I got baptized, but was the commitment real? Was it? No, it was real. If you got into the water, that's an outward sign of a commitment. You know, this wedding ring, I don't have to question. Did I really marry Priscilla? Did, like, do I have to go look at the document? No, I know. Because I made, I gave her my word. I vowed to her that I would give her my life. And it's in the same way. That's why it's with the mouth that we have to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Because it's the commitment I'm making in my heart. And it's made manifest and made known with my mouth and then my actions through the waters of baptism. So this is important for us to grasp. The gospel is in its essence very basic and simple that anyone can understand it even a child that's why we have children in, in class right now learning about Jesus because we know that if they have an encounter at this age well then they're already on the right track I was four years old when I gave my heart to Christ and look at I'm still in the church today and I'm not saying my journey was just a straight line I detoured I had moments I'm sure my parents, some nights, I was a fairly good kid, I'll be honest. But, but personally, I know I wasn't always on a straight and narrow path. But I was four years old. And why am I saying this? Because we can't just say, well, they're too young. Anyone, God, God loves children. And listen to this, four years old. I don't know what prompted me. I have no idea. But uh, the chicken noodle soup was ready for us. And, and it was, my dad was there, so I assume he was the one who made the chicken noodle soup. And as he put it on the table, I remember vividly, four years old, I said, Dad, how do I accept Jesus in my heart? And he said, uh, I don't know if he said really. I imagine he might, must have been caught off guard. Um, and he said, you just have to ask him. And he said, we can just pray a simple prayer. And uh, he led me in a simple prayer to invite Jesus. Why? Because I have to confess with my mouth. 
And I know that with little kids, we say, yeah, but they haven't experienced the real temptation of this world and all of that stuff. But listen, I've, I never had to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior again because I really meant it at four years old. I got baptized much later because I was still a little young. I probably didn't reach the, the water level. Um, but I remember just experiencing a bit of these moments, and I honored my parents until the time where I was old enough to make that decision publicly. That was kind of a personal moment with my father. Uh, but publicly, at, I think I was about 1997. I don't know the math. I was about 16 years old um, at that point. And I gave my, my heart to Christ. And uh, it was a public declaration through baptism in water. And, um, but the gospel is simple. That if at four years old, I already had a prompting inside of me to want to say yes to Jesus, um, let's not overcomplicate the gospel. Um, what all, that also means, though, is that each of us should be able to communicate the gospel as well. Um, if a four-year-old can understand it, then we are smart enough, especially mostly as young people and adults in this room, that we can communicate the gospel as well. Um, so again, three things every Christian should be thankful for, especially this weekend, but every single day, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think it's time we take a break uh, from thanking God for all the stuff we have and just getting back to the basics again. Like you can thank God for your new car. There's nothing wrong with being thankful for things. But here's the thing. They will rust and they will break down and the new thing will become old. And then you're going to get upset with God and say, now I need a new car. Now I need a new job. Now I need a... And, and you could go on and on with stuff. But there are some eternal things that we've been given that we ought to always be thankful for. But the tendency inside of us is to, God, thank you for my new iPhone XS or 10X. I didn't get one, and I don't plan to get one, a new iPhone. Christmas is coming up. I'm sure some of you are eyeing deals and sales and all of this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, Cyber Monday and Black Friday, all of these things. And we're, we love to get stuff, and then we're thankful for the stuff. But then it gets old. With our faith, may it never get old. May, may the things that Jesus has done for us never get old. And, and, and the way I know for myself is I stop thanking God for them in my life. How about the blood of Jesus and for the forgiveness of sin? We ought to thank God today for that. How about the stripes on His back that He bore for our healing we ought to be thankful for that and His resurrection that we might have new life. God, I thank You. God, I thank You for, for bearing my sins. God, I thank You. Like, I'm not just saying, yeah, check, you know, one, two, three. Uh, okay, let me, God, I really need this now. No, let's, I think we thank God and ask Him and, and bother Him for all the, these things, and it's not wrong. But what I'm saying is we often forget the real basic essential things that he has actually done for us. God's not a genie in a bottle that we rub and say, give me one this and give me two that and give me three this, and I'll just continue to pray and bother you and be persistent in prayer because that's what the Word of God says. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But don't forget the things that actually count, 
the things that are eternal. And listen, once those things are a part of your daily uh, you know, thing of thanking God for, when you're in the workplace, when you're in school, when you're with people who are unsaved, guess what? The death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. It's at the forefront of your mind. Not, hey, did you see I got the, the latest the thing and check this out. Look what I can do now. Check my email uh, an extra three seconds faster with this new phone, right? Oh, no, no, if it didn't work, it's the Wi-Fi, right? This is what we tend to gravitate to because we, we forget everything that he's done for us. Listen, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I know that it's supposed to be a time where, where we are grateful. And maybe if you have some family tradition where it's like you awkwardly make everyone in the family go around the table, say what you're grateful for. And some people get lovey-dovey. Some people cry. Some people cry because the loved ones are no longer around the table that were there last year. And I, I relate with that as well. Um, but here's the thing. The, the gratitude that we ought to have for what Christ has done is not a once-a-year type of thing. Come on, guys. This is something that every day that I'm alive, I remember the old me is dead and gone. I'm, I walk today in the power of the resurrection. I'm from glory to glory, from strength to strength. I'm going. And here's the thing. God is counting on His church to continue to preach the simple gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. And I want to share with you a very practical way you can do it. And then we're going to get to praying. And by the way, if you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered everything to Him and made Him Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. Just because I can't preach about Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection. And not give you an opportunity like I took or had when I was four years old. To say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come in and take residence in my life. I give you full control. I want new life. But here's a simple pattern for your testimony. If you want to share the gospel message, right? Death, burial, resurrection. Listen, I was dead in my sin. I was dead in my sin, but Jesus found me. Tell them the story about how life was before, the things that you were involved in that were not pleasing or not good for you, uh, or, or, or sin even. Don't try to candy coat the life you had. If you're trying to give your testimony, you tell them how life was before Christ, B.C., before Christ. I, I was dead in my sin, but then I died to the old sinful me. And you tell them what Jesus has done for you. You tell them how life was before. You tell them how you encountered the love of Jesus. And then number three, you tell them how now you are a new person. And you tell them life after that experience. And you see, in, in a simple way, once you consider before Christ entered the picture, my encounter with Him, and then after. Very simple. You don't even have to preach and use, quote, Scripture to people, because you'll lose them. The best way you can preach the gospel is through your story and what God has done. As they begin to ask you questions and go deeper, then you can get into it. But in its essence, think of it as an elevator pitch. It's obviously way more than that and way more meaningful. But if you only had 30 seconds to a minute, maybe you have a lot of floors in this elevator, right? An elevator pitch is meant to be 20 to 30 seconds. Try to figure out how can I tell my story in 20 to 30 seconds. If you have 30 seconds, you have 10 seconds to tell how life was before. 
10 seconds of how you encountered Christ, 10 seconds to how life has been different since. And then you can lead them in a prayer if they're willing, right? But the goal is this. If you can't uh, clearly communicate your own story, how can you tell the story for, for Christ, for someone else's life to understand and receive it? So learn, think about it. Say, God, show me, show me. How can I clearly articulate this gospel message in a way? I'll, I'll tell you, 99% of the time, people don't ask me to show me in Scripture. They say, why are you different? Why, why are you different, right? When I walk into a place, there's the light of Christ. There's the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Like, we're different. We're supposed to be different than the world. And, and they ask me those questions, like, you're different than my other clients or my other patients. Like, what is, what is, what is it about you? I'm like, it's Jesus. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you more? And, and most of them, I don't say Jesus like that. I just say, well, you know what? The love of God is in me, man. And I'm a believer. I, I, you know, and, and people will ask you more questions usually from that point on. And the door opens wide. But the gospel, communicate the gospel clearly so that people can understand. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet this morning as we prepare to close. I'm going to, we're going to end with a short time of prayer because I believe, I know there are needs, but I believe that uh, for this to become a part of our life, uh, it's not just, you know, like I'm going to download the message and uh, I'm going to press print and then I'm just going to go and do it. I think some of this actually needs to marinate uh, in the atmosphere of prayer and to, to be able to get through the information in the brain and actually permeate the heart. Let it hit this point where God needs it to dwell. And this morning, I just, before we pray and give an opportunity uh, for anyone to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, my phone's there because I wrote them down, but... Um, Anna, which is Nunzio's sister-in-law, her father, Clemente, had a heart attack and then uh, rushed to get a double stent put in the heart. And, um, and thank God he made it through that episode. And um, that family is full of gratitude for the work of the doctors and, and the hospital, but obviously for God, who's given an, another opportunity for life to continue. Uh, and I'm, that hits fairly close to home with me and everything I've been through this summer. Um, but when we think about it, the resurrection, everything that Jesus did, he also uh, accomplished something incredible in terms of our healing. And by his stripes, we are healed. And there's access to uh, healing. And it's nothing special about these hands. Um, if, if you need healing in your body, I want to pray over you. But there's nothing special about hands or words, right? What's the, the factor in prayer is the level of our faith. And, and backing it up with saying, God, we believe that you can do what you said you can do. That's where the faith lies in. And here's the beautiful thing. As we pray, I'm believing that God can do what no man can do. And everything you've tried for yourself, that God can do even for you what you can't even do for yourself. And this is 
who God is. This is everything that he accomplished on the cross for us. So there's a request there for Clemente. We're going to continue to pray for a full recovery, that God would touch his body, that no ill effects, but that he, he would even go from strength to strength. And, um, and then also for my grandfather, uh, who's in, in a critical condition still. I, I explained a bit about the femur uh, bone that is fractured. They had to do surgery. And, and they don't know, with his weaker heart, they said, we don't know if, if he's going to go from strength to strength or um, should anything else happen that's not good or conducive to living longer. And uh, it's a lot to process, to be quite honest. But here's the thing. He knows who Jesus is. We're not afraid of death as believers because our hope and our future is secure in Christ. Um, is it a hard thing to, to navigate? Absolutely. Um, but here's the thing, our confidence and our hope is in Christ. And I, I prayed over him before we left. I said, no, no, can I pray for you? He goes, sure. And he kind of twitched his shoulders. So I prayed for him. And, uh, and he was amening my prayer for healing in his body. So all we need is faith, church. And it's the same faith. If you call yourself a believer, it's the same faith that is required when you said yes to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the same, no different. We need faith to believe that Jesus is also our healer. And if, he, if you believe he's saved you and your, your eternity is secure and you have life forevermore, then guess what? Then we can also believe for your healing as well. And that's the beautiful part of the gospel is that he makes us new, not only spiritually, but even physically. He makes us new and there's healing available. Uh, I promise that I would give people in this room an opportunity to give your heart to Christ if you haven't already and just in the reverence of this moment if you would just bow your heads close your eyes uh, this is a decision that you make and though we are here in a public environment I still believe that the, the decision is personal I know that some churches we make it personal and then we call you up. I'm just going to be honest. Um, if you're going to make this decision, I want to see your hand just to acknowledge it. But I'm going to actually ask you uh, and give you some instruction. But in the reverence of this moment with everyone here within the sound of my voice, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I think, in my opinion, this is the most important decision anyone could make not only for your life, but for your future as well. If you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus, and today you want to invite Him to be Lord and Savior, would you just slip your hand high in this place? I want to give you the same opportunity that I took at age four. If there's anyone here who needs to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, amen. I don't see any hands, so here's what I'm going to say. I believe that everyone has a personal relationship with Christ, then the mission is not finished. If everyone in here knows this room is full of light, then I commission you, Weston Road Pentecostal Church, if there are any visitors here and you're a believer, I commission you as well for as long as maybe you're in this neighborhood until you get back to your church, um, that you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, to lay your hands on the sick and to see them recover in Jesus' name. We ought to go 
That was the great commission. It wasn't that they ought to come here, but that we as believers ought to go. And my prayer is that as we go, the gospel we bring is the gospel that we find through Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection. We need not make it more complicated than that. And this morning, in this moment, I'm just going to open up the altars. If there's anyone here who needs prayer for healing, these altars are open. Come. We're not going to wait. We're not going to look around. If you need healing today, or maybe it's someone who's not here, you want to stand in on their behalf, then you come, and we're going to pray the prayer of faith, believing that God is able to do what only He can do. He is healer. And he is here in this place, the presence of the Lord. If there's anyone here, you come. We're not going to wait too long, uh, but I just want to give that moment. Listen, if you need it, you come. This is something that uh, I firmly believe in as a church. We're called to pray. There are needs. And, uh, and we believe as a church that uh, this ought to be a house of miracles, signs and wonders. And I just pray now for faith. If you're in your seat... I want you to begin to pray and to begin to lift up those that have come. We want to see God move. Come on, lift our voices in prayer today with thankfulness. We thank God that He already knows the end from the beginning, and He is the faithful one today. We thank you, Lord. Come on, let's begin to pray. Let's begin to lift our voices in prayer. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today in the name of Thank you so much for listening to our Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go. 